I'll be able to take care of my mortgage and utilities by the Airbnb and the long-term rental. So I'll essentially get to live for free again, which is my biggest living expense, uh, typically, and, uh, and be able to invest that money in, in other areas. You're listening to the Winning to Wealth podcast, where you'll hear real stories from real people who are on the path to building real wealth. These stories will show you how to earn more money, pay off debt, start investing, and make better money choices so you can build wealth for your future. Now, here's your host, Michael Lacey. What's up, what's up, what's up, teammates? Welcome to episode 27 of the Winning to Wealth podcast. Now, this is week four of our side hustle series, and I brought on an anonymous guest this week. We're going to talk making extra money with Airbnb with the young retiree by 33. Now, just like I said on other episodes, I know we're in a strange time right now. So this is not one of those side hustles that you're probably going to jump right into just this week or even this month for that matter. This series was thought up months ago. And we recorded this episode right around the time that COVID-19 was really starting to get attention here in the U.S. But I still wanted to air this episode because I believe this is a great way for those of you who are really into real estate to earn some extra income once things settle back down. Now, the young retiree also has some great plans in motion to actually reach his goal of retiring by the age of 33 as well. And so we dabbled in some of those other ways he's aiming to reach that goal. And I want to say, if you haven't already, just reach up and tap that subscribe button wherever you're listening to this so that you can stay up to date with the rest of this series and some of the great episodes that I have lined up coming for you guys. Also, make sure you check out the show notes page at winningtowealth.com slash episode 27. It's going to be there where we have all the links and resources that we're going to mention in this episode. But let's jump right into my interview with the young retiree by 33 on side hustling with Airbnb. The young retiree, thank you so much for coming on the Winning to Wealth show. I'm excited to talk to you. I'm excited to learn more about this side hustle you've been doing with Airbnb. But before we get into that, can you talk to me just about one of the earlier side hustles that you had, something you did in childhood to make some extra money? Yeah, so I actually had a really interesting first side hustle, um, and it started around when I was 12. And I didn't really actually know it was a side hustle until I started looking back at it now. Um, so I got into playing tennis because uh, my brother was in high school and he needed to play a sport and he didn't want to do off season. So the only sport left was tennis. So that's what he decided to, to play. And I ended up having to be his, his playing partner. So I really got into playing tennis and um, the better you get, the more strings that you break on your rackets. So a lot of people don't know that like the better you are, like you break strings once a week and you have to go to a country club and pay them 30, 40 bucks for them to string a racket. And my parents were like, Hey, we're tired of paying this money every single, every single month for me and my brother to go get our racket strung. So they decided actually to buy us a stringer, um, for our house. So like my brother's tennis coach came out to teach my brother and I how to string our own rackets. And then what it was interesting, what happened was once I started talking about to other people that like, Hey, I'm stringing my own rackets. Then they were like, Hey, well, can you string my rackets? Cause I, I have the same problem you do. And I'm not going to learn how to string rackets because my parents are going to buy something. 
So, uh, so it actually ended up that I started a side hustle when I was 12, where I started taking the, the rackets from everybody on my team or people that I played tennis with through the different clubs that I played at. And I would charge them $10 a racket because it would, it would normally cost them 20 bucks plus the string cost at the country club. Um, so I would charge 10 bucks a racket. And when I first started out, I was really bad at it. It took me about an hour and a half to, to string a racket. So over, I mean, but as a 12 year old, you're like, Hey, I'm making money. Like, right. I don't care. Like I see 10 bucks. Like I, I hand them the racket, they hand me the cash. And I'm like, Whoa. And, uh, and yeah, just like it, it turned into, I was streaming rackets for 15, 20 people charging $10 a racket. I got down to like 15 minutes it took for every racket that I was stringing. So like I was starting to make money and I was like, what the heck is going on? Like this just, this just feels weird. Um, but yeah, no, I continued, I actually continued that through, uh, through high school and then through college. Um, cause I was a D1 tennis player up in, in Buffalo and I strung for my team at $7 a racket. Um, and I was stringing like five, six rackets a night, every single night. Cause I mean, those guys like we're breaking strings every day, two days once, uh, once we're playing at that level and indoors, everything's just so much faster. So. Uh, it's definitely an interesting side hustle to start at such a young age. I didn't even realize it was a side hustle though until uh, I started my blog and started talking about my childhood. And I was like, dang, I had a side hustle when I was 12 years old. <laughs> <laughs> so can you talk a little bit about just kind of what you learned from that experience, if anything, about, you know, managing business, side hustle, making money, all that. Like, what did that do for you? I think one of the biggest things that I learned from the side hustle was that I learned how to monetize the unique skill and ability that I had. That string rackets was not a common skill to have. And like nobody in my town strung rackets other than the country clubs um, or the big the big schools, uh, like they would have a stringer. But I was able to leverage my unique capabilities and, and talents that I had to make money and monetize off of it. And, and I would say I continue that as I got older and, and I grew to be a top tennis player in the state of Texas, I would have these parents that would see me at tournaments and especially the like younger girls, dads would always want their girls to hit with a guy because we have more spin. We hit the ball a little bit harder. So that like, I would start like having these dads come up to me and said, Hey, can you coach my kid and just hit with them for an hour, uh, like every single week and we'll pay you 50 bucks an hour. And I'm just sitting there like, yeah, like I have a unique skill and ability to like, I'm a good tennis player and they see this and I'm leveraging that um, to be able to go out and do stuff. And I've continued doing that, like leveraging my skills um, with my background in engineering and operations and a lot of data analytics to continue and progress that um, as I, as I've gone throughout my career in work, even, even after school. So I would say definitely leveraging your unique skills and abilities uh, and being able to monetize off of that. Gotcha. Okay. So let's talk about, your pivot to real estate investing, right? Because now you've got house hacking, you've got Airbnbs and those those sorts of things. Was that something that you were introduced into at an early age or did you just kind of stumble across that one day? Yeah, that was that was really interesting because uh, my parents and everything didn't talk about money growing up. Um, There's no real estate talk. My my uncle and, and cousin were big into real estate in, uh, in Arizona, in Phoenix area. But I never talked about it with them. I never knew anything about real estate. It really didn't start until after graduating college. And I had a buddy of mine that I was working with who was an ops manager at the building that I was at. 
And he, we started talking one day and he's like, Hey man, have you ever heard of this book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad? And I'm like, no. And I'm like, I hate reading. And I'm like, I, I don't want to, I don't want to read a book. Like don't come to me and like say, Hey, I like read this book. And I actually took the book. I, I took his advice and he's like, Hey man, you got to read this. Took the book. I read the book and I was like, Holy crap. I, there's this whole other world that, and this mindset that I've never even experienced or thought or heard about. And that was really my, uh, my jump into looking at real estate. Now at that time I was still renting in, uh, in Pennsylvania for my job. Um, but once I got relocated down to Orlando, I knew at that point I didn't want to rent. I didn't know what I was going to do. Like what ended up happening and with house hacking and all, like everything that's happened since. I didn't realize that all that was going to happen, but I just knew that like, Hey, renting for me in my personal situation, I just, it just didn't make sense because like there was no reason to, to throw that money out every single month um, at rent when I was, I was never going to receive a return on that money. How old were you around this time when you read the book and you started kind of having these thoughts? I was 22 when I read the book. Um, and then after reading the book, I got into uh, like I literally Googled real estate, uh, like how do I learn about real estate? And that's when bigger pockets popped up. Um, and then I just started consuming all of their podcasts from like, I literally went back to podcast one and started consuming all their content. So, uh, when I, my first house that I bought, I was 23, uh, when I moved to Orlando, I think I was yeah 23 when I moved to Orlando and that was the first house that, that I, uh, I bought. And, uh, and then, yeah, it's kind of spiraled, uh, from there, snowball from there. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about what your portfolio looks like today, um, because I mean, and, and talk about just kind of how old you are, so how much time has passed, and then what you've been able to build your portfolio to in this amount of time. Yeah, so I'm 27 years old right now. Um, I have four properties. Two of them are townhomes. One's a single family home, and one's a triplex. Um, so the two townhomes are Airbnb specific properties that are down towards the Disney World area. And the first one of those that I bought was in August of last year. The second one I actually closed on about 20 days ago or so because I wanted to, like, at that point, I knew I wanted to get another property after buying my first house, but I wasn't 100% sure if the Airbnb route was going to work. But once I was able to prove that, like, I, I ran the numbers and, like, I saw real numbers coming in. And once I saw those and saw what the cash flow was like, that was when I was like, Hey, I got to pull the trigger again. Like I've, I've waited too long already. Like I need to continue to pull the trigger and, and get more properties. And then, um, this triplex that I'm in now, I closed on, uh, last Friday. And this one's going to be interesting because I'm going to do like a combination of house hacking and Airbnb that, and, or I'm going to do Airbnb and long-term rental. So there's a two one and then two one one stacked in the back. I'm going to live in the one one that's upstairs and then I'm Airbnb out the other one one that's downstairs. So yeah, right now I have four properties and then so two that are strictly Airbnb. This is a house hack that I'll do one Airbnb, one long-term. And then my other house in, uh, in winter garden, I actually do a long-term rental by the room. So it's a little bit different strategy um, as well, but I, I found that that works, uh, that worked really well. And the, the HOA restrictions and everything in that area, um, allow for that. So that was another big thing I had to look at when, when looking at properties and making sure from an HOA restriction standpoint, from uh, a county standpoint, what are the restrictions that they have in place? 
by renting out by the bedroom or short-term rental, uh, minimum lease agreements, all that kind of stuff. So it's really important to understand your area and, and kind of uh, understand understand what strategies work better in, in different parts of the, the country. You've got Airbnbs, you've got house hacks. Let's focus a little bit on the, the Airbnb side of things for now, okay? Let's talk about how you started that process, how you found your first one. I mean, kind of walk me through that process of selecting just the right property um, for the Airbnb, because one thing that could happen, I'm, I'm sure, is you could pick a property and it's way away. Nobody has interest in it. You never rent it out. So kind of what are some things that you're looking for in a property when you're choosing it? Yeah, so I started doing a bunch of research because I knew I wanted to get more real estate, but I didn't know exactly what strategy I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to potentially long term rent, but I just saw this Airbnb and uh, like I just saw what the potential of Airbnb was. So I started doing a bunch of research on like, how do I find the Airbnb that makes sense? Exactly like you're saying, it's very easy to like think your property is going to be awesome. And then it's just in a bad spot and location is so, so important. Um, so what I did was I looked at, there is a, a website, there's a couple different websites, but the one that I specifically use is called Mashvisor. And what Mashvisor does is you can essentially put in a, a city. So I can put in Orlando, I can put in where oh, Portland, wherever you want to go. And you can toggle on different views. So essentially it just shows a map. And you can toggle on like occupancy rates and nightly rate or like monthly income and Airbnb cash on cash return. You could also toggle for uh, long-term rental and and things of that nature. Now the data is not 100% accurate, but it's directionally correct. You have to do more research by actually going into Airbnb and like clicking on listings and seeing what calendars look like. But I essentially toggled between the, the different filters that they have on Pfizer in a zoomed out view of Orlando, knowing that like I wanted to be in the Disney World area. And then I essentially toggled between the different filters. And then every every like overlapping area where there was more green between the different filters, I would continue to zoom in and do the filters again. And then I continue to zoom in and do the filters again. And so I really targeted to like a very, very specific area that um, I, I found works for me. Now I'm sure there's other areas in, in and around Orlando and, and around Disney World um, and Universal that would work and, and would do awesome. Um, but I found an area that I really, really liked and it had a lot of the, the style of homes that I'm specifically looking for. And a lot of them in these areas um, come completely furnished. So like you buy the property and a lot of them are completely furnished and, and like the, the two that I bought down in Kissimmee um, I've really just updated a lot of the decor and added some extra pop for for pictures um, so that they really stand out uh, on Airbnb. So let's talk about that a little bit because you're in an, a really popular tourist destination, right? And I'm sure that when you're looking at that, I'm sure some of those houses are more expensive. So how do you run the numbers to see like, okay, yes, this is a little more expensive than something that's 20 miles away, but... I can charge more. And so I guess, where do you find that, that ideal rate of return when you're looking at numbers? Yeah. So for me, I was looking at, and that's really where you have to go onto Airbnb and start doing more detailed research. Cause a lot of the nightly rates, to be honest, from what I see, one is like, is the property really nice? Like that's important. Does it have a pool? Does it have a heated pool? Like what is, what are the actual inside? Does it look modern? That kind of stuff. All that's important. But what's, what's the, what's, the most important to look at is like how much you can charge per person more or less that's that's staying there. So like you want to look at if you're doing a four three and you know two of the bedrooms are going to have two twins, 
One's going to be the master that's going to have a king size. One's going to be queen or another two twins. Like you're going to be able to sleep eight people in that house. Um, and then if you had a futon or something else downstairs, maybe a couple more. But like it's really understanding what the price points are in different areas by the number of people that are going to stay at that property. Um, once you really hone in on like what's the high end, what's the low end, um, so you can understand like what ranges and am I working with, then you're able to really figure out and run the numbers to understand okay, in this area for a three, two and a half that's going to sleep six people, I can afford to pay this amount monthly in expenses and then back into what the what the price point is that you need to stay in. Um, so there's a lot of, the, it, it's not overly complex and I created my own like analysis spreadsheet for Airbnb rentals that you can essentially plug in different occupancy rates and then you can plug in base price and certain price per night increases and you can see what the different cash on cash returns are so that you can really understand like, okay, well, if I want to play it super conservative and say that my base night nightly rate is going to be 80 bucks, you would plug in 80 bucks for the base nightly rate. And, the, and then you, you can say, okay, well, what if my occupancy is 60%? What if it's 70%? What if it's 80%? What if it's 85%? And then you could plug in, okay, well, what if I rent it for $85 a night or 87 or 89 or 91, whatever numbers you want. And you can see the variation and that it's essentially a sensitivity analysis. So you can see the variation and understand, okay, is this a good investment at very conservatively? If I get it to 75, 80% occupancy and increase the price by a little bit, what does that do to my cash on cash return? Um, so understanding how, how many individuals can sleep in the, in the place that you're, you're hosting at. And then looking on Airbnb for like, what's the sweet spot for like the top people? Um, and, and what is super important to do when you're doing this research on Airbnb is there's, there's a lot of clickbait stuff in Airbnb. So there's a lot of people that like you, you go and like you see on the main page of the listing that it's $50 a night, $60 a night, whatever. Well, what they do is you, you can literally put one night on your calendar anytime in the future. And, uh, and put it at a low, low price point. And then that's going to draw people to click on that. But once you click the actual dates, then all of a sudden as like, as like staying at an Airbnb, all of a sudden you see the price double and you're like, what? Like it was $50 a night. Like what the heck is this? Um, so make sure like you click on different times of the year, uh, as well as like week or weekdays, weekends, cause like there's a lot of variation in price weekday weekends. And you can really start to get a feel for average, like over a week, what is a Monday to Sunday stay going to be at a nightly rate during low season and in the middle of the, in the middle season and then during the high season. So getting all that information is extremely important. Right. Okay. So then, you know, we, you kind of touched on pricing a little bit. What percentage of that revenue is going towards profit and what kind of percentage of it is going towards expenses? Like, you know, does Airbnb take their expenses? Obviously you have cleaning and, you know, all those other things. So kind of what's the breakdown percentage wise between what goes in your pocket and what goes out the door on the other side? Yes. I don't know the exact, I don't know by percentage, but how I, how I could say it is, so I set my price per night. There, there's two things that I set and there's other stuff that I don't see. So I set my price per night that I want, that I want to make, and then I set my cleaning fee. Those are the two things that I set. Now what the guest sees as far as like Airbnb, like what they're charging and whatnot, I don't see that information. That's only seen to the, that, that's only seen by the guest. 
So I don't look at it necessarily as a percentage. I'm sure I could like break it out as a percentage of like, hey, if it's $120 a night, 10% of that goes to cleaning or, or whatever. But like I I charge for cleaning because that's another one that like everybody always asks. Like, well, like cleaning is a big expense. I'm like, yeah, but I don't pay for cleaning. I have my guests pay for the cleaning. So like on my four three that has been up and running since August, I charge $110 per clean. And I so I charge the guest $110 and I get charged $100 by my cleaner. So I have a $10 buffer that I use for additional things or like there's stuff, there's scenarios where like something breaks or not, it doesn't happen often, but like there's always going to be something that could happen. So I use that additional $10 buffer as like, hey, if I need to replace things, I also like provide some stuff to the guests that costs a couple bucks to me for each booking. So there's ways, uh, there's ways around um, eating the entire cost uh, of certain things. But all I, all I said is the price per night um, that I want to make and the cleaning. Airbnb takes a very small service fee out, out of my portion. It's usually like 10 or 15 bucks. It's, it's nothing crazy um, per booking. It depends on how long the, book, the booking is and how expensive it was, but um, that's usually not that expensive. What has been the highest grossing month for you with Airbnb? Do you know that off the top of your head? So my highest grossing for one property so uh, was 5400 um, at my four bedroom, three bathroom with a pool. Um, now, once that's fully matured, which it is now going into the, the high season, unfortunately stuff happens and whatever. Um, but I think the, the highest grossing month will, will be uh, 5,500 to 6,000. Um, and then I think at, from a net perspective, it'll be between 900 to 1,200. Gotcha. Okay. So you touched on things breaking a little bit. How normal is property damage within Airbnb? And what do you do to kind of account for that when that happens? Yeah, so the great thing about Airbnb is they have a million dollar insurance policy. Now, I've never had to, to use it. What I have had to do in one scenario, I had a guest that didn't leave the place nice. Uh, they had a dog They had a dog there. I would have my listing as no pets. Um, and then they just left a lot of trash and it just took my cleaners extra amount of time. Um, all you have to do in that scenario is have your cleaner take pictures of what it looks like when they get there. If there's any damage, you submit a ticket to Airbnb and then you, and then you submit saying, Hey, this is exactly how much it cost me to be able to fix all this. And then, um, for this particular scenario, it was 250 bucks and like I submit everything, the invoice from my cleaner to Airbnb. And within two days, and with all the pictures of like this is exactly what happened, and within two days, Airbnb paid me because they saw I had all that. Like it was literally, a, I, I submit everything right after the guest left. So there was no way that they could say, oh, that was the next guest or whatever. Like you have to submit it timely. But if you submit all the right stuff, it's not a big deal. Typically, you'll get paid out. At least from my experience, I got paid out. I don't know if that's always common, but I provided enough information to them to get paid out. But that's the only guess that I've had anything major happen. I've had like a couple small things where a curtain rod falls and, and like the edge of the curtain rod breaks. It's $5 to go fix that. Like it's not, not that big of a deal. And at that point, I'm not even going to charge the guests. I'm just going to let them know like, hey, not a big deal. Like I, stuff happens. It's a house. Like if the AC went out, that's going to happen. Like it's, it's going to happen when a guest is there. So um, I, I make sure to let them know up front that like this is a house. Things break, but let me know if something breaks and I'll fix it as quick as I can for you. 
Like I want to make sure that you have a good experience and I want to make sure that you have a relaxing stay. So just let me know if something breaks and I'll take care of it. Let's talk about the properties a little bit. I mean, you, again, you're in a high tourist area. Um, there's a lot of competition. There's hotel, hotels, there's resorts, there's other Airbnb. I mean, there's just a lot of competition where you are. So what do you do to make your property stand out in an area like that? Yeah, so Airbnb SEO uh, search engine optimization is one of the most important things because like you're saying, Orlando, extremely competitive environment. We're known as the hospitality capital of the world. Like everybody comes to Orlando for the parks, for the beaches, whatever. So understanding Airbnb SEO and understanding how to optimize your listing for people to click in and for people to book is extremely important. There's multiple things that are important, but the most important thing is you have to have a opening picture on your listing that pops. Like it needs to like wow the the people that are scrolling through. Because you gotta think. These people are scrolling through 50, 100 Airbnbs. And a lot of them, like you, you get two seconds, like you get that quick scroll. Like they're looking at that first picture. If that first picture doesn't excite them, then they're going to just keep on scrolling. You got to really make sure that first picture pops. Um, and I highly, highly, highly recommend getting a professional photographer. It is worth $200. It is worth $500 to get a professional photographer to set your place up um, in a cool way. So, and when, so when a photographer comes, like I set up the dining table with like the plates out with a little napkin ring and a, a nice napkin with uh, glasses out for like wine glasses out, like you got to really make it pop. Um, and then professional photographers can, can just make your property look so much better in a picture than you'll ever be able to do. Like iPhones and all, like all this technology is great. Don't get me wrong. Like the cameras on these phones now are incredible. But what these professional photographers can do with pictures is, is just unbelievable. So like that's the first thing. You really got to have good pictures of your property. Another thing is you have to have good reviews. Five-star reviews are so important. If you, it, like, if you do not start getting five-star reviews immediately from the very beginning, like your listing is just going to drop an SEO. And in this market, you're not going to be able to stay booked. Like you're just going to be on page 30. And there's no way anybody's getting to page 30 to see your listing. There's tens of thousands of Airbnbs in and around the Orlando area, plus all the hotels and everything that you were talking about before and the resorts that people stay at. You have got to get good reviews. If you don't get five-star reviews, you're, you're going to be putting your, your listing in a, um, in a really, really bad spot. And then I would, I would say being a super host is also extremely important. Um, now that comes with time, that comes with reviews, that comes with a few other things. But um, being a super host is really important. Um, and it, it makes a big difference because now even like people can go online and filter just for super host listings because they know that that host more than likely is going to deliver a, a great experience or have an awesome place to, to stay at. Right. So, I mean, talk about some of those steps that, that you took to become a super host. Yeah. So a lot of research um, and really a lot of it is providing the information to the guests that they need to be able to have a great stay. So everybody wants to have the Wi-Fi. I provide like Netflix automatically for all like the downstairs rooms so they can literally just turn it on. They don't have to sign in on their account. Like it's logged in for them already. Providing all these extra things, like when you when you come into my properties, um, you'll get a handwritten note plus like two pieces of candy. It doesn't take a long time for me, but like a handwritten personalized note to guess 
uh, plus like some like treats and stuff like that. Like that goes a long way along with your communication and other things you provide. I also provide before they check in like super clear check-in instructions. So like I've, I've never had an issue with a guest like through the check-in process. Everybody's been able to get in without me having to like talk to them or then have to ask questions because I'm extremely clear and, and like tell them exactly what to do and what their code is and, and all that stuff. So I think delivering a seamless check-in process over providing information before they get there and when they're there. I have guidebooks that are printed out that have like recommendations for what to do, what to see, different areas to go to, different restaurants to eat at. Um, and then uh, I provide everything that you could possibly need in the kitchen. So like, I have a spice rack with 20 different spices. I have oil, cooking oil. I have a Keurig and I provide some K-cups for them, um, toaster, blender, everything that they could possibly need um, to really, really have a good stay and never have to like get on the app and text me uh, or message me through Airbnb saying, hey, do you have this? I don't want, I don't want a guest to ever have to ask that. I just want to have it for them and, and then never have to worry about that. Gotcha. Okay. So then, I mean, let's talk about that because that sounds like a, it could be a pretty intense setup there. And so what's been the time commitment for you in managing your Airbnb and like, do you outsource some of that or do you manage most of it yourself? Yeah. So I a hundred percent manage myself. Um, managing the, the process is what I enjoy the most. And um, what you were touching on before, um, the setup is definitely the hardest and most time consuming piece making sure that you have everything that you need, making sure that the place is set up so you can come get a professional photographer in there. That's the, the biggest time drain early on. It's that first couple of weeks of like every, making sure everything that the guests possibly can need is there um, and that you go above and beyond. I have a checklist now of like, hey, here are the things that I need in the kitchen. Here are the things that I need in all the bedrooms um, that I'm gonna start providing uh, on my website and through my Instagram. And it's essentially what I use in all my places. So like, I remember the first Airbnb I got, I took 30 trips to Walmart because I, I would go to Walmart. I was like, I know I have to get these three things. I come back and then I walk into another room. And I'm like, crap, I need to get these five things. So I go back to Walmart and then come back again. So like really just being able to take one trip over there or order everything online and get it, the, the stuff that you need um, and get it to your place and get it all set up. The setup that really doesn't take that long, uh, but making sure you buy everything that you need uh, definitely does. So from a management standpoint, I would say like I love managing the properties by myself. I love interacting with the guests and, uh, and communicating them and making sure that I deliver a great experience for them. And the only thing that I have outsourced is cleaning. Um, now my cleaners, uh, in current state, my cleaners are co-hosts on my account. So they can see my calendar. They see when people are checking out. They see when people are checking in. So the only thing I don't do myself is the, the actual cleaning. I'll I'll pay and outsource outsource that. Right. Okay. So I mean, we've mentioned all the good, right? This sounds like an incredible side hustle. But in your own words, I mean, what have been some of the challenges that you faced with Airbnb? So I would say the biggest challenge is what I'm going through right now uh, with the coronavirus and like everybody freaking out and all the travel bans and everything. So th this month and next month are in the, in the Orlando area are two of the busiest months because you have spring break um, that's going on through this time. So those are always staggered out. 
And it's two of the busiest months outside of a couple other times, which means it's usually the months that you can charge the most. Well, with the, all the stuff and news and media and travel bans and quarantines and all that stuff, I've had literally almost every single, my, my calendars were booked, like entirely booked. I, I had two days on one property that were unbooked. I had one day on another property that was unbooked. And then this property, the one one downstairs, I had two days that were unbooked. Well, now, like my calendars are clear. Everybody canceled and it's like 100% cancellation and they get 100% refund and all that. So it's like, I would have never guessed that Disney would close. Like Disney's closed. I think I was talking to a friend of mine who works for Disney the other day. And he's like, Disney World has closed maybe five days since it's been open. And now it's been closed. Like it's, it's scheduled to close through the rest of the month. And who knows, depending on like what could happen with this. So I'd say like the unforeseen stuff like that, like it's out completely outside of my control. Like there's no reason for me to worry about it because there's literally zero that I can do to fix it. Um, so like what, for me, I think that's the, it's definitely been an awesome experience to, it sucks, but like, it's been an awesome experience to go through because you got to get hit in the mouth a couple times and, and like stay standing to be able to, to like go through and, and really create your own business and, and really try to create things, something that's sustainable and scalable. Um, and with my W2 income that I still have coming in, um, and then through house hacking, like my expenses are super low. So being able to carry those mortgages on the, the three other properties isn't that big of a deal because I've set myself up in a very unique way where my expenses are extremely low. And then all the cash flow I get from my Airbnb properties um, and my house hacks uh, really help pay for, for my living. So um, I'd say you got you to gotta set yourself up to, in case something happens like this, where I would have never in a million years guess that Disney would close and the coronavirus and like all this stuff would happen, what happened and like everybody's reacting to it in the, in the short term and in the hospitality world. Um, and it's, it's just, you, you gotta be able to roll with the punches and you gotta, you gotta have a game plan for worst case scenario. Never want to think worst case scenarios can happen, but you have to have a game plan for if it does. So just there, we were talking about, you know, your W2 income and your house acts kind of, carrying you through this this challenging season that we're in. Um, and so I do want to kind of transition to the house hacking part. Can you just talk a little bit about your house hacking experience? Um, I know there are a few different ways that you can do a house hack. So um, what's that been like for you? Yeah, so house hacking is essentially buying a house um, and renting out, buying a house, buying a multi small multifamily or even larger multifamily and renting out um, either bedrooms or units to help pay for your mortgage. So uh, I've done two different strategies now. Uh, the first strategy I did was running out by the bedroom long term. So I would run out by the bedroom long term. That would bring in twenty four hundred, around twenty four hundred dollars a month. Um, I created it was a three two. It created an additional bedroom because I had a walk in office that was just like empty space that I wasn't using. So I drywalled that out, put a door there, created a fourth bedroom. Um, and I was bringing in twenty four hundred dollars a month. My mortgage is sixteen fifty to seventeen seventy with like some of the tax stuff that um, happened with reassessments. And then after all expenses are paid, um, mortgage, utilities, HOA, uh, water, all that stuff. After all of that was paid, I made a hundred dollars a month, typically around a hundred dollars a month. So not only did I live in my house for free, but I was paying down. I was the people that were living in my house were paying down my mortgage, and I was making hundred dollars a month. Um, so like when you, when you read books like set for life by Scott Trencher, 
uh, or these different books that talk about what your expenses are. Typically, 30 to 35% of most Americans' expense, monthly expenses are, are housing, uh, utilities, internet, all that stuff. And being able to cut that largest expense out will allow you to now, if you want, redeploy that number or that, that uh, whatever money that is that you're saving on your housing, let you invest that or let you use that in different, in different manners that maybe is, is more enjoyable to you. Um, and I would say like doing the house hacking was extremely important for me to get to where I'm at today. Because once you cut those expenses and you start having more cash coming in, uh, that like you start to see your bank accounts or your investment accounts increase, like it's just a snowball effect. Like it's just like compound interest is real. And the earlier you start it, the faster you're going to get wherever it is that you want to go um, in the future. And with this house hack, I finally, I don't know why it took so long, but I finally was like, hey, I need to do house hack too because there's no reason not to. And I could move out of my house um, in, in Winter Garden and move. I wanted to move uh, towards Southeast Orlando, which was an area that had a lot more like young professionals versus where I used to live was very much family oriented, which wasn't bad, like it's a great spot for a house, but um, I wanted to get a spot that had more young professionals. But this house is a little bit different. So I bought a triplex, which is essentially three units. Uh, it's a two one and two one ones. And I live in one of the one ones. I'm going to Airbnb the one of the one ones and then I'm going to long term rent um, the two one. So it's a little bit different uh, style house hack than what I was doing right by the bedroom in Winter Garden. But um, again, it's it's I'll be able to take care of my mortgage and utilities by the Airbnb and the long term rental. So I'll essentially get to live for free again, which is my biggest living expense uh, typically and uh, and be able to invest that money in, in other areas. So you have essentially eliminated your largest expense. Um, you have a W-2 income and then you have these Airbnbs and all these other properties um, that generate income for you as well. So with all of that, I mean, what are some of your biggest goals that you have from this point going forward? Yeah, so I have pretty big goals, but um, what I'm what I'm really trying to figure out right now. So ever since I started doing the Airbnb and the house hacking, um, I just have really had this entrepreneurial itch that just like continues to like get stronger and stronger. So what I'm working on trying to do is continue to um, develop my side hustle and develop the other side income streams that I have to be able to fund my lifestyle and the lifestyle I, I want to have. Because I, I live a very minimalist lifestyle um, right now and I do the house hacking. So I save a lot of money through, through doing that. But I want to be able to transition my income if you look at you look at income as a percentage, I want to transition a lot of my income from right now it's very heavy W2 and slower on the on the side hustle side. I want that side hustle to continue to grow and grow and grow and become more than what my W2 is, where I'll be able to take that step and be like, hey, I want to go full time into this side hustle and entrepreneurial gig that, that I have going on. But I need to continue to expand and grow and scale um, the side hustle, it's doing well right now. And I could, I could quit my W2 tomorrow and, and be able to live because of the house hacking and the Airbnbs. But I want to be able to continue to grow it so that I would have, I'd be able to go do stuff. Like I could quit now and, and, and live a crap life forever, but like it'd just be like super, super minimalist. But like I want to, I want to get to the point where I have time for you. 
Like that's my goal. I don't want to, it's not a number. Like I want to have the ability to do what I want, when I want, with whoever I want and not have to worry about the price tag. Like I don't want to have to, oh, that's like, ah, that costs too much. I don't, I don't want to have to worry about that. So I think continuing to, to hustle and grind um, like I'm doing and continuing to, to go down the short-term rental plus house hacking um, has been a, a, a really, really good way to, to start. Let me pose a hypothetical question to you. Let's say there's somebody out there who's listening to this right now and they're intrigued. They want to jump into Airbnb for themselves. They think this is awesome. Um, what are some practical things that you can share with that person to kind of help them get started? Yeah, I think the the first thing is like you got to ask yourself if, if like if Airbnb is the right thing for you. Because like you were saying before, where people freak out about, well, somebody's going to damage my property or this or that, like you got to understand that it's a business. At the end of the day, it's a business. Some things are going to happen. And if you, if you get uptight and that stresses you out, then like this isn't for you. Like the first thing is like, you got to figure out and, and kind of do some soul searching and understand, is this what you want? Um, and is this the right thing for you? And if it is, I would say, then you really got to figure out what kind of market you want to be in. Maybe it's the market that you live in. Uh, maybe it's a market that you don't live in. And then what I, I recommend doing, like what I did, I got a Mash Pfizer account. Again, I'm not, I don't, I don't like, I don't promote for Mash Pfizer, but like this is what I did. And, and uh, I got a Mash Pfizer account. I looked at my area. I looked at where the hotspots were. Then I started doing more research. And I started like listening to certain Airbnb podcasts to like connect with other hosts, people that are doing it. Um, and then at that point, uh, you got to take action. Like you're never going to know if it's the right thing to do until you take action. There was a, a really interesting video that I watched um, from Gary Vee, uh, who I, I follow all of his content, um, where he's like, flip a coin and make a decision and don't look back. Like there's, you're never going to know what the other outcome could have been. So just make a decision. If this is right for you and you want to go do it, like go do it. Analyze, understand what the numbers are, Make a financially correct decision. Don't just do something stupid, but like run the numbers and then go do it. Like you, you will never know whether or not it actually works until you actually go and take, take action. So that's, that's really the biggest thing is you gotta run the numbers, you gotta take action, um, and you gotta, you gotta make calculated risks. Awesome. Well, hey, thank you so much for coming on and sharing a lot about just this side hustle, travel hacking, uh, your personal journey, your goals and all of that. Uh, I do want to give you the opportunity for you to share with the listeners where they can find you if they want to follow along and um, learn more from you and just cheer you on as you go towards this goal of reaching early retirement. Yeah, I'd say the best way right now is to reach me through Instagram. Um, so I'm at the young retiree by 33. Uh, and 33 is the numbers 33. So that's the best way to reach out to me. I'm trying to post a lot more content um, coming up to really show people, hey, this is what I'm doing. Um, the last couple of days I've been setting up uh, my place that I call Turquoise down in Kissimmee. And I'm like showing, I'm like, this is what I'm installing in my places. Like, this is how I install it. Um, this is how I set things up and I do actual walkthroughs of my property. So Instagram is where you're going to get a lot of content um, from me and the easiest response. Um, but I'd also say I, I love writing uh, on my blog and I'm continuing to, to post more and more out there. Um, and that's just the young retiree by 33.com. So that's another great spot where you can 
go back and see different things I've written. Um, I, every month I do a month in review for Airbnb uh, to like show actual numbers of here's my income, uh, here was additional income through early check-ins and pull heat and that kind of stuff, and here were all my expenses and essentially run a P&L statement um, so you can actually see some some real numbers of, of what I'm producing. Awesome. Well, hey, that sounds fantastic, actually. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to link to last month's numbers in the show notes page. So you guys be sure to check the episode description for that. It's going to be at winningtowealth.com slash episode 27. And I will be sure to link to your last month's numbers uh, so people can get a good look at that. But also, if you enjoyed this episode and you want to learn more about house hacking, be sure to check out my other interview with Andrew Kerr over at winningtowealth.com slash episode 15. I'll be sure to link to that as well. It's a great, great episode that goes really deep into just the world of house hacking uh, so that you can learn how to lower those that monthly expense of rent or your mortgage down to as minimal as possible. And so, again, that is at winningtowealth.com slash episode 15. Now, I do want to share one money win that you can take away from this episode. And that is this. Even though the young retiree lost all of his Airbnb bookings, he isn't at a huge risk for losing not just his Airbnb side hustle, but his entire real estate portfolio. Now, why is that? The reason is because he didn't over leverage himself. He used house hacking to lower his expenses. So now that his business income is taking a hit, he can actually afford to use his W-2 income to keep his side hustle going when things ramp back up. And that also speaks to the importance of keeping your job for a while, even as you build your business, which is something that George Pitts talked about in last week's episode. So if you missed last week's episode with George Pitts, go back and listen to that one as well. Overall, that's called just setting yourself up to win. So shout out to the young retiree by 33 for thinking ahead and putting himself in a great position to win. But until we talk again, keep racking up those wins one at a time. We'll talk soon. You've wrapped up another episode of the Winning to Wealth podcast. To learn more about how you can start making winning money decisions, head over to winningtowealth.com.